Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I have a friend who's a novelist who always asks, when I'm working on something, he never asks, what is this about? He goes, what do you want your story to do? Home Improvement, David and Carmen and I wrote it out. We said, we want to celebrate an American family and specifically an American marriage. That's what we want to do. We want to celebrate that. All right. Welcome back to another edition of Industry Standard with me, the large Jew, Barry Katz. As you know, I love to start off each podcast with a story that sort of relates to my guest. And I'm really excited today about my guest, Matt Williams, the prolific executive producer and main man in Hollywood. So I represented a lot of uh, comedians, I still do, who branch off into television and film. And in the 90s, I had a chance to represent some of the most amazing people that were working in the clubs who I thought could branch out into film and television. And one of them was, as you probably know, was Dave Chappelle. And the other one was Jim Brewer, who uh, relate to this story. And at the time, in the mid-90s, I was the kind of person who didn't wait for things to happen. I wanted things to happen. I tried to make things happen. And I remember well that I was tired of the development process with Dave Chappelle, and so was he. We had done like about three or four pilots, and they didn't go anywhere And at Disney. And I met with Dave, and I said, I'd like to try something different. I'd like to FedEx a letter to... Chris Albrecht at HBO, who also started in the comedy field. He was a doorman at the at the Improv on 44th and 9th when he started, and he moved up to be president of HBO. And I said, I want to reach out to him, let him know that we love a deal that involved a half-hour scripted project, hour specials, comic relief, maybe a talk show, just all-encompassing. And I knew that if I sent Chris a FedEx he would open it 
because FedExes are like emails these days. You know, no matter who you get it from, you can get it from a homeless person. You're going to open the email and say, oh, wow, God, he lives, he lives on the street, but I'm opening it <laughs> and I'm reading this. So <laughs> I send a FedEx this beautiful typed letter because there aren't any computers that I'm using back then. I'm typing the letter with those typewriters that have the ball thing and the whiteout and I'm going back and forth trying to make it right. And I send him this beautiful letter, and he calls me, and he says, Barry, thank you. The art of letter writing is, is, is a dying art, and it's a really passionate letter, and I would love to meet you and Dave, and I'm going to have my uh, business affairs person fly you both out first class, put you up at the uh, wherever Four Seasons. And I'm like, first class, this is unbelievable. You know, I was flying with the chickens my whole life. We fly out here and he, it's a wonderful meeting and he offers us the moon. Everything that I wanted on that piece of paper, he offered. And I did all this stuff. I was sort of a, a rogue kind of manager at the time, even though he had an agent at the time. I sometimes did things without really telling them as much as I should or I just said, hey, I want to send this. I didn't really go into detail because if it didn't work out, then I didn't want to look like it was a, a bad thing to do. Anyway, this paid off. Chris Albrecht, I want to do it. So I called Dave's agents. They were excited. They started getting into discussions with business affairs at HBO. Then, you know, with Jim Brewer, things were heating up and getting kind of hot because there was a, an executive at NBC, a really wonderful person. Her name was Amy Wolpert, and she was very supportive of me and Jim Brewer, and I had showcased him, and she brought him in, and we met with Warren Littlefield in the group. And if you ever met with Warren Littlefield, who was the president of NBC, you would meet in this office and there'd be this long L-shaped couch and you'd have pitches there or do whatever. And they were like, they never fucking laughed at all. It's like they just sat and watched for his reaction. But Jim Brewer, when he took a meeting, you could never get away with not laughing at Jim Brewer. And he just stood up and got right in the war in Littlefield's face. He said, what's the matter with you? What, did you have some fucking bad food this morning? Lighten up. These people need to laugh. And he starts punching pillows and wrestling himself to the ground and doing all these crazy things. And suddenly Warren started laughing. And before I knew it, again, I had called Jim's agents and said, listen, I don't want to tell you this, but I just got a call from Business Affairs and they're offering over $200,000 for Jim Brewer. And it ended up being $250,000 that they offered him and was on the table. Dave's deal was very close to that as well at HBO. And I am on top of the world because I'm a manager in New York. I got nothing going on. I'm representing kids who haven't done anything in their life. Maybe I have a few people on Saturday at Live uh, before this at, at the time, uh, but nothing major. I was a booking agent for clubs. I was booking people all over the country and I was trying to make my way and this was the f one of the first times where I really had validation like holy shit things are coming around I might be able to make it in this business and I am feeling great. I'm like, I remember going back to my office after hearing about both offers and how we're working on trying to close things up. And I remember leaning back in my chair and putting my feet up. 
And all of a sudden, the phone rings. It's late at night. You know, it's like 9. I'm the only one there, 9.30. I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, it's Barry Katz. Hey, Barry, how you doing? Uh, this is Dean Valentine and uh, Gene Blythe calling. Now, Dean Valentine was the president of Disney Television or Touchstone Television at the time. And Gene Blythe was one of the greatest casting directors and directors of development or however you call what he did. And they said, Barry, we want to talk to you about something really, really special. I'm like, oh, great. I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is the best week of my life. And they say, Barry, we want to do a home improvement spinoff. It's going to be the most expensive show in television history. We're putting everything into it. We even have a guaranteed time slot after home improvement, which no one has ever given in the history of television. I'm leaning back a little bit further. I feel like my head's touching the ground from the back of the chair. I'm just like so excited. Like this is the best. So I said, what do I need to do? They said, oh, you don't have to do anything, Barry. All you got to do is we're going to send you a first class tickets for you. I'm like, yeah, first class again. I'm like, and who else? Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. I'm like, come again. They said, Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. We want those two to be our home improvement spinoff. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Guys, that's really wonderful, but I have a situation going at HBO with Dave and one at NBC for Jim Burr. No, no, you don't. You don't have that. You can't. Barry, do not sign those deals. Do not sign those deals. You have to come out and meet us. Please. I feel like I've gone forward... Sort of, I mean, I haven't closed the deals with these people. Nothing's signed yet, but I feel like if I take that meeting, it, it just would lack all integrity, and I don't, I don't really feel that great about it. Barry, all you're taking is a meeting. Don't worry about it. You got a free trip to L.A. They'll have fun. It'll be wonderful. Just come. And so I called Dave, and I called Jim, and I said what was going on, and I, I told them I really... It was a wonderful thing, but I really didn't feel comfortable about it. It was something that I was really nervous about. And I got their agents on the line, and of course their agents said, what the fuck are you talking about? Get on the fucking plane and get out there and take that meeting. That This is how it's all done. Get out there. And I said, okay, so we go out and take the meeting with Dean Valentine and his, his team, and I believe David Kissinger was there, who's... Uh, huge macha in the business and it might have been pete aronson too and it was an amazing meeting and they walked us down to the set where you matt williams was doing a home improvement and showed us the whole thing they took us down to matt's office which we'll get into later was like literally the you could eat an omelet off every surface of the office it was just one of the most amazing clean uh, it, it, it was incredible it was like it was like vacuum it was like the golden gate bridge you just start cleaning on one side go to the next and you'd start again it was that kind of place that was just so impressive and we get out of there and we meet with the agents and they're like listen we have to do this home improvement spinoff because the agents are thinking hey we got the package we're gonna do this we're gonna do this both clients will be the biggest show ever we got the guaranteed time slot we'll go we'll do that and so had to call Chris Albrecht and had to call NBC and 
that was uh, devastating. I don't think Chris Albrecht talked to me for like five years. But as usual, talent rules and hopefully people get over things. And they have to realize that sometimes your artists, they're the presidents of their careers. And you're basically the cabinet. And that's the way it is. So to make a long story longer, and this is the longest cold open history, but it's a very incredible story, and so it shall be told. We start developing the show, which is called Buddies, with Matt Williams and his team, Carmen Finestra and David McFazian. We have a great time, a great, great time developing it. It's wonderful. It's very collaborative. They allowed me to actually be some kind of producer on the show which matt hadn't done in a long time because of various circumstances in his life that had happened which we'll talk about later and he trusted me to be there and he treated me like i belonged and he treated me like i was a producer when technically i was just another you know schlub probably in the business trying to make it and everything was going wonderfully well. And when you're close to a project and you're working on it and the set is wonderful and the employees and everybody there is incredible, you feel like you're doing the greatest work in the world. And we were incredibly happy. And we shot one show. We shot a, we shot our pilot, obviously, but we didn't have to worry about it because we were already picked up. We shot another show, another show. I believe we shot like six shows before we were ready to launch after Home Improvement. So we're shooting like our sixth or seventh show, and the show is scheduled to air the following Wednesday night. There are full-page ads in TV Guide with Dave Chappelle's picture, Jim Brewer's picture. There's more press than anything I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible how much... Disney and, a and ABC put into this. Tim Allen was involved. He was some kind of producer, and he had the participation in it. He was pushing it. It was incredible because Tim allowed these guys to be a guest shot on one of their shows to sort of launch it. All was in the cards. Jim and Dave Chappelle fly in their families on Tuesday night because the next night they're going to stay over, they're going to watch the show at a location, and it's going to be one of the biggest celebrations ever. So I'm in Jim's dressing room after the show, and his family, they're hugging, they're high-fiving, the mom is so excited, everybody's around. It's just incredible in his dressing room. I just come from Dave's. And I get a, a page comes in the uh, the dressing room and says, Barry, I have a phone call. I'm going to transfer it here to Jim's dressing room. Is that okay? I said, sure, whatever. I pick up the phone. It's by the bathroom. I go in the bathroom. I sort of close the door. And as I pick up the phone, I'm looking out at the scene of Jim and his family hugging and kissing and high-fiving and congratulations. I'm like, hello. Hi, Barry. It's Debbie Klein. Now, Debbie Klein is a tremendous attorney. She represents Jim Carrey, Will Ferrell, you know, so many different people. And at the time, uh, she was representing me, and I had put Jim Brewer with her. So what's up, Deb? It's a great night today. I'm so excited, and we're, we're going on tomorrow. Thank you for calling, and it's so nice of you to call. How thoughtful of you. She's like, Barry, I don't know how to tell you this, but they're firing Jim. They're pulling the show, and it's not going to air tomorrow night, and they're recasting. 
I'm like, Deb, come on, man. It's it's not April Fool's. This is this is a great night. Stop fucking around. This is great. Barry, they're firing Jim. It's over. And they're pulling the plug. And I'm sorry. I gotta go. Bye. And I hang up the phone and I look out at the scene of Jim and hugging and laughing with his family. And I go back out there and I say, Jim, do you mind if I talk to you alone without your family? He said, sure, no problem. And they leave and he sits down on the bed and I pull up a chair and I say, Jim, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just got the call from Debbie Klein and um, they're firing you. They're taking you off the show and they're going to recast. I feel like it's my job as your manager to protect you. And I feel like, I feel like I failed you. And it was the first time in my life as I remember where I'm across from a man who's crying in front of me because of this business and had everything ahead of him. Now he has to go and tell all his friends and his family who are there that it's over. And then I had to tell Dave, which was even more difficult because he believed in Jim so much and he believed in Matt Williams and his team so much and he couldn't believe that there was no warning. He couldn't believe that that a network didn't say, hey, listen, we're thinking of doing this. Let's give Jim some coaching or let's do this or let's try to change that. And Dave left and he said, I'm not available. I don't want to take any meetings. I don't want to meet anybody. I'm not going to recast. Tell them I don't want to do this show. I'm out. And again, I apologize to Dave. And Matt Williams called me and said, Barry, will you get Dave in here? I want to set up a meeting with him. I said, I'll try. but And I did try. And finally, Dave agreed to come into a meeting at your office with your team. And you guys met with him and told him that it was about uh, the acting. And you had said to Dave that you felt that the show could be successful with Jim Brewer. But you felt that with another actor, it could go to syndication and it could be a huge hit. And it was worth risking the millions of dollars that had already been spent on the show to do that. And Dave went back and forth with you. And at the end of the meeting, if I'm not mistaken, you said, look, Dave, I tell you what, I'm going to make a little bet with you. Okay. If this show isn't a hit, and if this show is canceled by the end of the year, I'll write you a check for $10,000. But if it isn't, We'll celebrate, and you don't have to do anything for me. So Dave agreed to do the show. We recast, went on the air. Unfortunately, it was panned. It was canceled after 13 episodes. And about a month later, Dave Chappelle came in my office, walked in, closed the door, said, Barry, man, I got something to show you. I said, what is it? He pulled out his wallet, 
took out a check for $10,000 signed by my guest today, Matt Williams. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So there's a lot of tension on the set. The original writers, you had a lot of brilliant people who have gone on to do yep. a lot of things. Just mention a few names of people who have gone on to do great things who were writers on that first well, season. Well, Danny Jacobson was our punch-up guy, and he went on to create Mad About You. That's right. Uh, David McFadden, who's been with me since Roseanne and, and a partner at Wind Dancer. And... Um, uh, Oh, gosh, I can't even remember who all else that, that first season. It was. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to BarryCats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, Instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Now, I remember watching Roseanne do an interview on the Rosie O'Donnell Oprah Network show, which I actually loved that interview show that she did. blew me away. And there was an episode with Roseanne, and I was riveted. And Rosie asked her about the pilot of Roseanne and... Rosie had said that to Roseanne, well, what were you thinking after the pilot? And she said, I went home and I took a yellow pad of paper and I wrote down all the names of all the people that I was going to fire when I went to number one. And when the show went to number one, I fired every one of them. And I was number one. <laughs> I was the first one. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so you go through that, but you're still a creator. And for those of you who don't know, when you got that created by credit, somebody can fire you and you're still getting paid for history in perpetuity. You're still getting checks from Roseanne, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now you're three for three. Ted Williams is in the Hall of Fame. He failed six out of ten times. You're three for three. So you produce another show, Carol and Company, which doesn't go the distance. Which is interesting because it was Carol and it was... Uh, Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. And I think we were in the top 25 shows in our ratings and, they, and it was canceled. And you go... Today, like you were saying, in the today's world, it would have been a hit. Yeah. But again, that's not, not any excuse. Here you are. You've worked with Cosby. You've had the spinoff of Different World. You've worked with Roseanne. You're working with Carol Burnett. And then there's a comic 
out of the Midwest. Jeffrey Katzenberg came to me and he goes. Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time was working at Disney and uh, probably the best executive I've ever worked with in my life. And of course, now one of the tri stars of DreamWorks. Oh, he was great. And what I loved about Jeffrey is he he always told you the straight shit. He would you go, you're not going to like to hear this, buddy, but sit down. We're not going to do that. I and I so appreciated that as opposed to here where everyone yeses you to death and nothing gets done. But he came to me and he says, Gene Blythe has found the great Gene Blythe, who you mentioned, has found this stand up comedian. And I said, no. <laughs> and he says, I didn't even tell you who he goes. No, it's a stand up. I said, no. I said, I'm not going to do this again. And Jeffrey came to me probably three times and said, I, I want you to sit down with Tim Allen. And I said, no, I'm not going to work with another standup. And finally, you see Jeffrey, how comedians can ruin it for everybody. <laughs> and finally, Jeffrey goes, look, I'm not asking you to marry the guy. I'm asking you to walk across the lot and go have lunch with him. And I said, oh, all right. And I think it was uh, David and I went and had lunch with him. Or it was, I can't remember if it was David or Carmen. And, and, and Tim sat down. I also found out after the fact they had shopped him to almost everyone on the lot before they came to me. <laughs> but everyone wanted Tim. I think somebody pitched to Tim, you're going to be in an RV traveling around the country with your wife and kids. And, and Tim, to his credit, said no. So I sit down at this lunch, and Tim and I looked at each other, and we started talking. And again, Tim was just a, a journeyman stand-up comedian who had actually spent time in jail try clearing a person who's been in jail now for television or film. And he'd done a Showtime special, which I believe was entitled Men Are Pigs. Men Are Pigs. And he had this incredible point of view. And so that's how he got the attention. He did a showcase at the Improv. What's the festival in Canada? And he did the Gene Montreal said, Just Montreal, for Laughs festival yeah. where Gene Blay right. saw him. So uh, keep going. So I sit down with Tim and I go, wait, here's a guy from the Midwest. He's from a big family. We started telling stories about our crazy brothers and how we grew up. We started swapping stories about our wives. Does your wife drive you crazy when she does this? And literally by the end of the lunch, th th this was like a Vulcan mind meld. I mean, it was like I, a doublegonger here. We were laughing about the same things. And I, this is, again, the truth. I got up and walking back to um, our offices, I turned to David. I said, if we do this, I said, this will be a top 10 show. I said, I have no doubt about it. And I said, and if we do it right, everybody in America will be grunting because that was his whole stand-up, men are pigs, <laughs> and all this. Now, here is a businessman. Again, this is what I have to ask yeah. you because I think this is important. You don't believe that if you had collaborated with Roseanne and given her the creative by credit with you from the beginning that it would have changed. And I do not believe that it would have changed. I believe it would have been the same deal. No, because she as fired her manager. That's she right. Fired she her fired everybody. Her ex-husband. But everybody. now you're meeting with one of the nicest right. guys in show business, right. Tim Allen. And he's got the strongest point of view of probably any comedian of the last 10 years. And he meets with you, and now you have a chance to change that and say, you know what, let's write this together, but you don't do it. You do it, and and it works. You create the show yourself. You take the creative by yourself. It's based on the stand-up, and you're there the whole time, and it's a wonderful relationship, but you could have easily given him that thing, and you didn't. Why didn't you? It was more Disney than us. It was never even brought up from Disney. If Disney had said, the only way this is going to happen, I would have said yes. 
It was just, it was never even an issue. Disney came to me and said, this is how it's going to work. This Got it. Understood. Yeah. So Jeffrey came and said, here's what's going to happen. Here's your talent. You guys are going to create a series and we're going to plug this talent in. So it was and, never a, and a lot of time also, it did happen that way and by the studio or the network because they saw examples of happen like Roseanne and people going off the rails and are like, if we give these people too much power, they're going to take over. And especially you look at Carsey Warner, they were in a situation every time somebody was involved in creating a show. They weren't even allowed on the set. I mean, Marcy and Tom weren't even allowed on the set of Roseanne after a while and a few of their shows, and they were the greatest executives of the time. So home improvement, the pilot go is, do you know that it's... uh, No no question. You knew instantly. And it was number one within how many episodes? Six or so, I think. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. So I don't want to talk about buddies that, I do want to. that much, but I want you to just say what you want to say about it. Here, because... I, I want to tell you something because someone called me. Someone's writing a book about Dave Chappelle, and they called me, uh, this uh, reporter in New York, and it started triggering all these old memories. Here's, here's what kept me up for two years after buddies. Kept you up for two years. I knew something was inherently wrong with buddies. And unfortunately, Jim Brewer was the scapegoat because the network and the studio comes and goes, it's got to be casting. It wasn't casting. It was me. I made a crucial mistake. And it wasn't till six months after the show was canceled. I'm sitting with Carmen and David and we're going, fuck, we, we messed this up. How did we mess it up? And we kept talking about it. I said, something was inherently wrong. And Carmen was the one who identified it. And he goes, here, when we talk, what is the core relationship? Think about this for buddies. Dave Chappelle and Brewer were best friends. Our concept for that series was they had been best friends since they were five years old. They didn't have an issue with race. Everyone else did. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong because they've already worked out all of their issues. Conflict and frustration creates comedy. So what did we do? We had two guys who didn't have a problem with it. Who had a problem with it? Judith Ivey, Richard Roundtree, all the extreme points of view went to your secondary characters and your two leads became your straight guys. Carmen turned to me and he says, you know what we should have done? He said, think about this. If Dave Chappelle had grown up in a black neighborhood in Detroit and had only seen three white people in his life, and Jim Brewer moved in from Bent Prong, Minnesota, where there was maybe one Indian guy at a deli, and now they're thrown together, all of the stand-up that Dave Chappelle does about black people and white people at the movie, he says, and these two people, now every episode is a discovery. White people eat that. That's the way black people go to a movie. Everything is a discovery, and the core relationship is your two guys. And afterwards, I went, fuck, we really, we, and we kept straining. We kept straining on that show. And again, if the concept isn't right, if the inherent drive, because you always have to ask, what's going to drive 100 episodes? Your premise statement for home improvement, give you an example. People go, oh, that's funny because Tim grunted. And because uh, uh, he blew up shit, right? No, David and Carmen and I took six months. We kept pounding away. We knew Tim was going to be funny. We knew he was going to wear a tool belt and grunt. 
people go, oh, that's about more power. No, it's not about more power. Do you know what the controlling idea of home improvement was? The premise statement that drove 201 episodes? Men and women should never, ever live together. (laughs) But they do. And we consciously looked at each other and said, every episode is going to be filtered through the prison of masculine and feminine. So think about it. The icing on the cake, the rosettas on the, on the icing were tools and blowing up toasters. What drove 201 episodes is don't, is, uh, you know, we're going to make pancakes. I'll get my blowtorch. No, I'm going to set the table so the boys learn how to do napkins or use their napkins. Every, whose house is it? Who, who, you know, every single episode, if you watch it, is driven by the premise men, men and women should not live together, but they do. And that's what we explored every single episode for 201 episodes. That's what drove that. Buddies, you have two guys who have been best friends forever. They have no problems with each other, and they really like each other. How in God's name, and I didn't see it at the time, how in God's name can you drive to 100 episodes with that? If we had flipped that, or had the two of them, so we had to create stories where they were always battling outside elements, and, and they were kind of battling it together. Well, who's your point of view character? Was it Jim Brewer or was it Dave Chappelle? Well, it's kind of both because they're buddies. No. Who is your point of view character? How are we seeing this world? Through Cosby, you are seeing the world through. I live with brain dead children. Through Tim, everything could be made better with power. We, and that's, so it wasn't Jim Brewer's fault. And God, you broke my heart telling me that story because I hadn't heard it with his family there and everything. I just, I, I was sweating sitting here. Well, I don't want you but, to sweat. No, so let's... he's a good guy and he was the scapegoat and we, we blew it in the concept. He was a scapegoat. That's, that's a really honorable thing you said. So we're going to close up this podcast with what I like to call holy shit moments. <laughs> Things that I think you can share with uh, our audience. Uh, first question is, what's your biggest disappointment in your career? Uh, honestly, I think it was buddies. Because we had, as you said, more advertising, more studio weight behind it. And this isn't an excuse. We were so busy with home improvement. We were so busy keeping that show afloat that, and we had, and people even turned to me to this day and say, you had Dave Chappelle. And I said, yeah, that's before Dave Chappelle became Dave Chappelle, but still we had Dave Chappelle and, and that, that was my biggest disappointment. Other things we rushed in development, other shows, or, or we made the wrong choice in casting on a movie that happens, but that inherently should have worked. And we didn't, we didn't crack it. We didn't make it work. Your proudest moment in this business. Uh, Well, I, I think, I think it's home improvement and, and the fact that, you know, it was shunned by the Emmys, but every year it won the People's Choice Award. And it was, it, look, the show's made what, $2 billion? I don't know, whatever it's made. And the fact that it was number one in Australia, in Germany, all around the world. And to think that show just hit a chord again, because it's a universal chord, men and women, it's tools and all that. But there's something about that show that um, uh, it just played throughout the entire globe craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the business an isolated thing that would be the highlight chapter of your book like it just no one would ever believe that something happened within production maybe with something you you, you it worked got on. so crazy on roseanne this is a true story she was so uh extreme i'll be 
careful with my language here. She was very extreme in her opinion. That And we worked every weekend, and we went to the security guard at the gate, and we said, if she shows up, warn us, because we're on lockdown. Because we were sincerely thought she might come onto the lot and shoot us all to death. And so, honestly, I told the security, I said, if she comes on, let us know. We have a contingency plan. We can lock off these doors, and we might be able to escape before she comes here and kills us all. <laughs> holy shit. That is a holy shit moment. <laughs> all right. Lastly, I want you to, from a man with humble beginnings, a studio apartment, to creating three shows that went to syndication, produced a movie with Mel Gibson that probably made, God knows, $300 million worldwide. So what advice do you have for a young artist, whether they be a comedian or they be a sketch performer or a playwright or a writer... What do they need to do to go from that studio apartment with no hope to writing that list out saying, I'm going to be creating this and going through and executing their dreams and getting to the point where you are at this point in time? Define your worldview. Ask yourself on a daily basis, why am I telling stories? What is my intent? What, what do I want to do as a storyteller? Because if not, you're just going to be a leaf in the wind. Oh, they want me to write uh, penguins tap dancing. I can write that. Oh, they want clowns on a roof. I can do that. No. Who are you? What is your inherent soul value? Who? What do you value in life? What's important to you? How do you view the world? How do you see the world? What do you believe in? And infuse everything you do with that very personal, deep, specific worldview and then you find your own voice as opposed to i can oh i can be this i can be that and i watch people and they go oh yeah we've got a great idea for a show it's in an office and they all crack jokes no i have a friend who's a novelist who always asks when i'm working on something he never asks what is this about he goes what do you want your story to do home improvement david and carmen and i wrote it out we said we want to celebrate an American family and specifically an American marriage. That's what we want to do. We want to celebrate that. And so with, and, and with buddies, we thought we were going to be exposing racism and all that, but our premise was wrong. So anyway, back to your question. Honestly, ask yourself, what do I believe in? What's my worldview? Uh, why am I telling this story? What's the, what is the intent behind my storytelling? And whether it's a one-act play or a half-hour sitcom or a two-hour movie or a three-hour Broadway musical, why are we telling this story? What do we want this story to do? That, to me, if you can define that for yourself as a writer, as a show creator, as a storyteller, then, then that'll drive you, as it has for me, 30-plus years. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. 
with exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. That's incredible stories. Uh, you're an incredible man, and uh, I am so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It was great. And as always, you're listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz, me. If you like the show, please tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message. And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on uh, Me Too LA 2019. I hope not. December 20th, 2019. <laughs> Heading reads, bravo, five stars, and the comment reads, another year, no one else like you out there, exclamation point. Wow, wow. Thank you so much, Me Too LA 2019. You are a winner. I just wanted to let you know if you ever want to get a gift for somebody special, you can do so at our merch store at berrycats.com. We have a ton of shirts in many different colors with a plethora of the most impactful quotes from the podcast that have resonated with you throughout the years. I know you're going to like them a lot. They're really, really special and of the highest, highest quality. And it's a special gift from me to you. For any item you choose, you can take an extra $5 off by just typing in the promo code Barry. So just go to berrycats.com, to the store, check it out. I know you won't be disappointed, and have a great, great holiday season. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out. We have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to iKillJFK.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote 
one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? IKillJFK.com. Check it out. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.